Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom and Dawn Lister of Anahata Yoga Centre. Today we are joined with or by Diana Hervey and Diana Hervey is a nutritional therapist, an eating disorder therapist and an EFT practitioner. I'm so excited about our conversation with Diana because she truly is a wealth of knowledge. Um, she's the person I send people to when they're not feeling well or I can't seem to get past something and she has helped me on numerous occasions and my family so she's kind of like a wellness guru for me so I'm, uh -huh. I'm very very humbled and grateful for her time on the podcast today you guys are going to get um a wealth of information and um and some real empowerment I think I've always feel quite empowered when I come away from speaking to you Diana because you're you're very pragmatic you don't make it difficult there's no fads with you it's just it's the real deal. Um, so thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for being being with us. Diana is also um, a mother and a wife and lives a very full and busy life in our town in, in Leon C in Essex in the UK. Um, and, um, you know, she's a real example to us all of how we can juggle work and life and, you know, still st still stay well and thrive. So let's check in and see how we are all doing today. Da Daniel, what's going on for you? How are you? Hi, Dawn. Um, I'm well, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm in the process, as you know, of kind of trying to consume books through lockdown. So um, I've just read a book by a comedian um, called Tom Allen. I don't know if you've come across Tom Allen's work before. He's quite recognisable. Um, because he's he's kind of very eloquent in his delivery of um, comedy, but um, he wrote this book called No Shame, which is all about himself kind of coming to terms with him being gay and growing up in Bromley um, in southeast London, and just that he didn't fit in to the world at all. And the book is just really dry humour, but very very worth reading. It just reading it from a gay man's perspective it's just kind of heartwarming that you know he he's finally finally sort of found his tribe of people that he fits in with and um i would thoroughly recommend reading it it's, it's really really light-hearted really funny but actually really really deeply touching as well at the same time so well worth a go that sounds really good i, I when you said tom allen i went to um an image in my head of an older comedian is there another comedian called tom allen Tim Allen, you're thinking of. No, 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 yeah. not Tim Allen. He does those bloody um, one-liners that I yes. just... Uh, I don't get them until we're the sixth one along, and then I get them, so it drives me crazy. And there's another Tom Allen. I thought... Oh, maybe, I don't remember. He's an old guy. looked like my father-in-law, big specs. He told a lot of Jewish jokes. But anyway. Uh, Tom Allen does... You've probably seen him. He does um, Bake Off, The Professionals. So he's one of the presenters on that. Okay. Um, he's also just trying to think what else he does. Oh, he's on eight out of 10 cats quite a lot. And the one that they merge with countdown, he does that quite a lot as well. Um, but he's, he's just, he's so spot on and so very English humor. And, you know, it, there's a lot of kind of hidden humor amongst what he says, which is actually very, very clever. Yeah. Um, and there is his delivery is just in his facial expressions as well. You know, he's just yeah, he, he's he's very unique and well worth looking at. And apparently, he did a really amazing show at the Palladium that was recorded for ITV or Channel Four. So 
I was thinking actually now I've now I've read his book I'm actually going to watch that because I'd like to see what he's like doing stand-up because I've seen him on lots of you know sort of chat shows and seen him presenting and now I've read this book you know and this book's really you know it's really powerful in its delivery but very subtle in the way that he gets it across um yeah I'm intrigued to know more about Tom <laughs> I've I just discovered this week a woman on Instagram called Jane Godley and um she is a Glaswegian voiceover comedian and I have li- I literally spent an afternoon just watching all of her voiceovers. They're about, you know, Donald Trump and Melania and Boris and Nicola Sturgeon. And she's broad Scottish. And I, I obviously I'm Scottish, but have kind of lost that thick accent and the words. And she's like, Donald, Donald, you're off the Twitter, man. What is it you want to say? Tell me, Donald. I hear they've been, oh my goodness, he's off the Twitter. And he's just, it, this, I can't tell you because I can't do it properly, but it's so funny. I actually had painful jaws from laughing. So check her out on Instagram, Jane Godley voiceovers. And I promise you, you will spend an hour just killing yourself laughing. Really funny. Anyway, this is not talking about nutrition. Let's move on. Diana, how, how are you? How are, how, are you, how are things going with you right now? Yeah, no, I'm fine. I did your yoga this morning, which was lovely. And I always feel 100% better when I finished yoga. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, just getting back into the new year. Um, and it's a bit of a weird time, obviously, unprecedented for everybody. Um, last year was just manic. I've never been so busy. And um, what I've found is that uh, lockdown has really um, triggered and uh, generated mass anxiety, particularly amongst the younger generation. It's not just, I think, older people are finding it um, almost easier to navigate than, than the younger ones. And the younger ones have never, you know, they feel in limbo, but they don't actually know what that, they can't translate that, but they know they feel a bit uncomfortable and um, a bit weird. And I think the other thing is there's no, there's suddenly there's no structure in their lives. And maybe being older, we're more able to um, manage that. But I think young people are really, really struggling. Everything has changed for them, their education, um, their prospects, everything that they've known has changed. Um, and I'm, I think that's why I was so busy last year. And for those that were already um, sort of concerned about their body image um, and their weight, um, they, a lot of them have turned to food to try and manage those feelings. So obviously eating disorders have just skyrocketed and in fact they've I think the last statistic I read was uh nationally something like a 57 percent increase in in that and of course it's a mental health illness and um I think we're all aware that that is going to be a massive problem when we come out of lockdown I mean it is now but Mm -hmm. and it's going to affect people for a long long time especially Mm -hmm. the youngsters that's sad very sad it's really sad and I have to say I've noticed it more in the past two months with my girls because my children are 20 22 and 23 old girls and they coped really well last year they kind of had down moments um but they seem to you know they 
they exercised every day. Some of them did a bit of yoga. They were going for runs. They were making time for really for food. They managed to hold on to some semblance of work. Mm-hmm. Um, um, one of them was at college, so she was doing that online. But it just feels like this year it's it's hit them like a ton of bricks. Like they Absolutely. don't know. It's horrible. They don't know where they're going to be. They don't know if what their job prospects are. They don't know, they're saying, they're saying, oh, I don't know if we'll ever be able to leave home. And, you know, not that that matters to us, but for them, they want to. They Absolutely. Wanna... They want their independence, yeah. don't they? But what does that look like now? No. Yeah, I mean, it's just so many unknowns. Um, and I think uh, anybody in the healthcare profession is going to be picking up the pieces for a long time. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I saw something on um, the news, actually. I think it was, it was either this morning or last night, I don't remember. And they were saying, you know, something like, one out of seven no three out of seven nurses experiencing severe mental health issues PTSD mm. deep depression and feel, feelings of not wanting to be here anymore um, yeah. and half are feeling like they're okay but not doing but not well and not thriving but I mean half is a significant number to be in a mental health crisis yeah oh I think I think um the doctors and nurses and anybody that's working in a hospital and you know right on the front line now there is going to be such a massive massive fallout of um depression ptsd mm-hmm. um not coping it's complete exhaustion yeah i really hope that the um the government put things in place for them well, you know, support that. We're not, we're not, we've not seen that to date, but we can hope. Yeah. Well, I guess that's because at the moment we need all of them. Yeah. You know, there isn't time to deal with that, but there will come a time where people's going to need, you know, that are working the way they're working are going to need a lot of help. Yeah. I know I've got quite a few friends that work in the local hospital and they said they're on a skeleton staff because so many of them are off sick with COVID and their oh. families with COVID. Oh. So we've got not enough people running an overwhelmed system. And yes. it's just, it is heartbreaking. So I, I wonder, you know, thinking about what you do, I mean, we'll come back to how you got into what you do. Let's just go into this conversation. But is there something, you know, from your point of view that people can be doing at this challenging time to support themselves? What, what would you say as a therapist? Well, I think you need to support yourself emotionally um, and, and physically, mm. if you can. Mm. And that's not going to be easy for everybody because everybody's situation is different. Mm. Um, but if you're looking at what you can do um, with your diet, for instance, right now, um, the best thing you can do is to eat regularly, eat fresh food, doesn't have to be exotic. And I hate the thinking about people thinking, oh, it's got to be super, a superfood. Let me tell you, a carrot and a cabbage is a superfood. Mm-hmm. And eat, eat the best that you have that is available to you try and avoid sugar because it's incredibly um, inflammatory, but it disrupts your blood sugar levels. It will cause you to become even tireder and can create lots of sort of chaotic emotions. Mm -hmm. So that would be one thing you can do if you have the opportunity to get out every day and just get some fresh air in the safest way you can, 
that just a walk, that would be fantastic. Um, be kind to yourself. Don't beat yourself up because, you know, you're not, you're not doing the best homeschooling that you can. We weren't all put on this earth to be teachers. And let's face it, not everybody's a trained teacher. If you've got all your children at home, it's almost impossible to do the same. You can't do the same job. And it's just don't have big expectations of yourself and then beat yourself up because you can't do it. Just be kind to yourself. If you can do yoga, find something online. If you're not, you know, if you don't belong to a yoga center like yours, and if you don't perhaps have the resources to do that, there are things online that you can do. Um, and, I, and try and get as much sleep as you can, drink plenty of water. Um, it's a good time to avoid um, alcohol, but then you can say, gosh, fancy giving up alcohol now. And <laughs> it's the thing, you know, it's a bit of a paradox that even my daughter said, oh my God, what a month to give up alcohol, <laughs> you know, trying to homeschool three children. It's the first thing you want to do. And I think it's just be kind to yourself. I think that's such an important message, Diana, that Dawn and I feel like we've been repeating ourselves <laughs> time and time again, is just this need to just stop looking at what everyone else is doing and Absolutely. focus on how you can be kind to yourself. Yes. Because when you create that sense of kindness or even that open space for kindness to be felt at some point, it might not be in that moment, then you know, then you've connected somewhere a little bit deeper within you. And you can do that through what you feed yourself with, with the exercise that you take, with the company that you surround yourself with, or the ways that you choose to switch off. Oh. And, you know, we do live in a very destructive society sometimes where there is available many, many different products and ways to create chaos, to use your words, within yourself. And they seem to be the normal thing that people go to rather than actually sitting with that uncomfortableness. Yeah. And I think that we do live in a, a bit of a blame culture, don't we? And we, mm. um, we berate ourselves a lot. And it, I, have a, I like to sort of try and teach people to sort of change the narrative, change their dialogue, look for things just be grateful for all the little things. Like if you made yourself, if you made the family or yourself, you know, a, a, um, a lovely warming meal or a soup, be grateful for that. So yeah, haven't I done well? You know, I've nourished everybody today and that's the kindest thing we can do for ourselves today. And that's good. Well done me. You know, so just little things, it doesn't have to be big. And the more you look for the, all the positive things that you do, even if you sit down and you just read a book for 10 minutes, be grateful for that and say, gosh, I'm really pleased that I was able to do that. I'm glad that I found that time for myself. Especially if you're looking after other people, you can't look after other people unless you look after yourself first. And that's not being self-indulgent and being selfish. It's actually, it's the kindest thing you can do to those other people that are relying on you. That is so true. That's the old analogy of, you know, if the airplane's going down, you put your own mask on first. And mm. I, I really, I think um, 
we've given we've all given ourselves a really hard time over the years you know about trying as daniel was saying keeping up expectations of how things are supposed to look and maybe i'm trying to see the gift that comes out of this dreadful year two years whatever it is we're, we're having is where we maybe put down some of those old those old stories and say you know what i don't have to compare myself to anybody i don't have to live up to anything I, what I, what am i here what is my soul here to do this time on earth you know what what am i here what how can i look after myself best how can i have the best experience you know, it's not about what you've got in kind of house you live in and how tidy your kids are and how well they're doing it's no, you know, you can't you can't buy happiness with material things. Happiness comes from within, mm -hmm. and it can be the simplest of things, like literally getting out every day in the fresh air mm -hmm. and having just that downtime for yourself, where you can walk along and you can ruminate mm -hmm. and fill your soul with that. You know, I always call that just soul food. You know, buying a new handbag is not soul food. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like, how can that make you happy? It, it, you're, it's replacing something, isn't it? Yeah. That's all. Ta Tara Brack, who's an incredible uh, mindfulness and meditation teacher, she speaks about um, the taking refuge and, and taking refuge in the things, you know, the practices that support you. Like, you know, you're saying making a nice meal. I would agree. That's a really important thing for me that the food I have cooked is something it, it's, it comes from a loving place and it's given with a loving place. And I get a huge amount out of doing that. Going for, I also going for a walk, meditation, watching, I love to watch comedy. I love, I try to always find something that makes me laugh every day. You know, they, and we're all different, aren't they? Some people will be going for a run or I don't know, painting or calling a friend, but finding refuge in the things that work. But she says a lot of people now are taking false refuge in stuff that's unhealthy so things like alcohol they're maybe mm. working even harder than they were before they're overeating or they're or they're deeply restricting calories or they're um they're trying to you know make oh i'm going to be super um achieve a lot over this lockdown period and actually they're being avoidant what they're truly being is avoidant of of what's going on for them they're trying to avoid their uncomfortable feelings and actually when we take refuge in the stuff the practices that are are going to support our life and and calm our nervous system you know then we come out of that horrible hypervigilant state that creates you know health issues creates anxiety depression disconnection um creates fear and then when we're fearful we our behaviors change again and that can be quite destructive you know so i i've been i was listening to one of her talks the other day and i thought she's absolutely spot on um and you know it's it can be really hard can't it to you know if you're in in the habit of being an overachiever or you beat yourself up quite a lot or you're a, a person likes to control things then to be put in this incredibly uncomfortable situation to switch into things that are more loving and kind is can be really really hard so i i like your suggestion you know just keep it simple like start with a small thing you know make a soup <laughs> go for a walk mm. sit down yeah it doesn't honestly it doesn't need to be any more no. elaborate than that no you don't need to overthink it no um and i think definitely leave your phone at home mm. i never understand people i walk every day that is one of my biggest self-care things first thing i do every day and i never take my phone mm. and i never understand people walking along when you've got i mean i'm very fortunate where i live you know i can 
um, I'm not far from the beach. I never understand people actually having to either listen to something on, on their phone, whether whatever it is, it could be chatting to a friend or podcast music, but they're connected the whole time at home. Mm. Why not actually just switch off and listen to the birds and watch the tide and listen to the wind? Mm. Because it just calms you down. Otherwise you never switch off. No. A lot of people, I think, and Daniel and I were talking about this earlier, you know, I'm going to be teaching um, the mindfulness-based stress reduction course tonight. I start our first week of an eight-week program. And we're saying when people first start, sometimes just being with the stillness, just with mm. the thoughts, just with the sounds is very distressing because you're never in that space. So mm. when you unhook, you're exposed to what's really going on for you. And that can be very, very difficult for people. So I guess for people that are listening, if that is your experience, I would just say, and I don't know what your feelings are about this, Diana, but it's okay if you're uncomfortable, it's not going to kill you. You know, just yeah. give yourself the time and space to allow those feelings to be there and, you know, hold them in a very... And just accept way. that that is how you feel. Accept that that's how you feel. Mm. Don't get cross with yourself or frustrated. Mm. Um, and, you know, we don't judge yourself so harshly mm. and just know that there are it will get better if you allow it to i think that's so so important just remember everything will change mm. everything always does change yeah <laughs> um, nothing lasts forever absolutely and i think you know to 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 allow yourself to know that and know that even in that most uncomfortable place that you can be, that it will evolve, can actually feel really quite freeing for people. Mm. Um, I was really interested, Diana, to understand from you, what is it around food that people have so much of a need to feel, to want to control, either by way of diet to attain that perfect body or that perfect self but also how does the use of food become quite destructive for many many people and it can really affect both physical and our mental emotional well-being and I think it would be really useful because I'm sure everybody has some form of hang-up around food drink the consumption of it or even ideals around how now food is presented to us as good food or bad food. And I think it might be really interesting to talk around that. Well, I think the thing is, obviously, we need to eat. <laughs> we have to eat every day. Food is our fuel. Nutrients are the fuel that enable our bodies to function uh, as they need to function. So absolutely, I don't see our bodies, they're like machines they're working all the time. So you wouldn't expect to, you wouldn't expect to drive a car and not put oil, water and petrol in, and we're exactly the same. But if you put diesel into a petrol engine, gradually it's going to, well, with a car, I think not that I've ever done it, but as I understand it, it doesn't drive at all. But I'm not that I know much about cars, but it's the same analogy, isn't it? And I think unfortunately over the last probably about 40 years now food has taken on um 
a completely different meaning prior to the um, prior to the advent of um, food manufacturing, processed food, convenience food, people ate to nourish themselves. And they nourished themselves because they knew they needed energy. They ate because they needed energy. Um, there was a sense of well-being by eating. So food was um, and had um, happy connotations. You think after the war when everybody, you know, they'd been on rationing. You know, it was a joy to eat foods that they hadn't been able to get for a long time or they hadn't had been able to get much of. And then it all went awry when food started to be manufactured and processed and it started to affect our health. So if you look back, say 40 years, I don't know if you ever look at any of the old films, you look, nobody is really overweight. It's extraordinary. You just don't even think, crikey, yeah, the people aren't overweight then. They weren't but they have become overweight gradually. And so suddenly what's happened is that food has evolved over the last 40 years to be either sort of categorized either good food or bad food. And for some people, it's very much become the enemy. And then that feeds into emotions, it feeds into self-esteem, um, and obviously body shape has changed as well, but that's changed, but so has brain chemistry because all the um, added sugars, the artificial sugars and the high sugar, the fructose, all the things that are, and hidden sugars that are put into all the processed foods affects brain chemistry. It completely disrupts brain chemistry. And therefore it's sort of gathered momentum over the last, sort of 30, 40 years, that people cannot control what they eat. Because what they don't realize is they have become addicted to sugars that they didn't realize that they were eating. And there's a massive blame culture about why are people uh, obese and, you know, and overweight. Well, it's, much, it's a much bigger problem than they make it out to be because it's also a social problem because along with all of these foods that are now have become a way that we eat, people's lives have changed as well. And technology's fed into that because people are working 10 times harder than they ever worked. People never switch off because everybody's connected all the time. You know, the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning, well, I don't because I won't, I refuse to take any electronics upstairs. But for a lot of people, you know, they keep their phone on the bedside table. It's their alarm clock. First thing they do in the morning, my alarm goes off at six o'clock. They'll check to see what messages or emails. So from that moment on, their bodies are on alert and they're checking. And that is also changing their stress levels. And so you might get reminded first thing in the morning of all the emails that you haven't answered the day before. So all these things are changing our stress responses as well. So it's not just food, it's also the way we live our lives now. It's the speed that we live our lives. And all of these things, it's like, it's almost like we've created the perfect storm. 
you know, all these um, precipitating factors that have gone into the way uh, contemporary life is now, sort of started about 40 years ago, 40, 30, 40 years ago when, you know, process hit the market. Um, so it's not any one thing, it's all of those things combined. And we have evolved too, because we're now, our expectations of how we should be performing have also increased. And that also feeds into self-esteem, a lot of self-judgment. Are we good enough? Can we keep up with everybody else? I should be doing this. I should be doing that. You know, a lot of negative self-talk. So can you see how it's just created this, this culture that we live in, but that's also affected our health along the way. So whereas we used to have, um, you know, like diabetes, for instance, it used to be called late onset diabetes. There's children of age four now with diabetes, osteoporosis, an old lady's disease. Not anymore. I know a, a physio who's treated children of 12 with osteoporosis because they've been drinking far too many fizzy drinks with the phosphoric acid, which leaches the calcium out of their bones. So it's, it's massive, isn't it? That's terrible. This huge behemoth, how are we going to deal with it now? And I suppose what's happening is I'm of a generation where I remember my parents kind of being really respectful about food because they 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 knew what it was like to not have food. Mm. You know, they grew up we with parents. Me. Who were in who were in the war and were Russian? So you know, my my parents brought us up to respect food, mm. but now that is a generation on, and my generation now are you know have teenagers and twenty year olds and and young children, and actually that loss of kind of respect for food and what it can do for you, and also the way that food has been altered so much from the fresh produce that you can buy to actually the, the processed food that we get in many supermarkets now, you know, that, that, that's a whole loss of information and education, isn't there, that just hasn't been passed on. So you can understand why there is such a, a crisis that's going on with people's health at the moment, which is down to both mental health and food. Yes. And, and it's a massive contributor to mental health because the sugars are completely addictive and they, um, you know, they trigger the, um, the feel-good factor. And it is an addiction. It's the same feeling as if you were gambling or you were smoking or alcohol or drugs. You know, sugar is a drug. It's exactly the same. And it creates a terrible chaotic eating patterns um, and the highs and the lows. And, you know, the thing is every time you eat sugar, your body responds to manage that by producing insulin. So if you eat a lot of sugar, you're, you're pumping a lot, your body's pumping a huge amount of insulin into your bloodstream to deal with that sugar. Now insulin has another property which people aren't aware of, and that is it codes your body to store fat because it, it actually um, triggers the 
fat cells, the adipose cells to expand and it converts excess sugar and, and fat. So you become like a fat storing machine. Now couple that with stress and the stress uh, hormone cortisol and sugar is a stressor and cortisol also coats your body to store fat. So these are the things that are going on in our lives these days. And that's why sugar is so destructive. It also causes a massive amount of inflammation in the body, which is why we have so many more inflammatory conditions. Diabetes is an inflammatory condition. All the digestive inflammatory conditions, ulcerative colitis, um, inflammation in the lungs, asthma, in the skin, eczema, arthritis in the joints. It's all increased and increased and increased. There's a direct correlation to how we eat these days. So it's quite sobering to hear that laid out, actually. I mean, we, um, in our family, our family, we try not to eat sugar. Um, my, we don't have any um, biscuits or packet soups or sauces, we try and have everything natural. And what we've done, and that's partly because of stuff that you've told me over the years, actually, that's, that's not always been the case. And we, we have, um, I'm just curious listening to you, we have like sugar substitutes like stevia and stuff, so that if we want to maybe make something that's got sugar in it, I would use that. So, and I, th I know there's a lot of people that do this kind of clean eating thing where they, they seem to try and make bad foods out of good stuff or good, or good options. And I kind of wonder, I mean, I don't really do that, um, partly because I don't have an overly sweet tooth, thank God. But I'm just wondering, is, is that just as bad really? You know, because that's actually not natural food, is it? No, do you know what I think? I just think that's making it all really hard work. And I, uh, my view has always been just an 80-20 rule. If 80% of the time you're eating uh, from fresh, you're cooking fresh meals, and, and we're not talking gourmet meals here, you know, mm. shepherd's pie, fish pie, um, if you're, could be a chickpea curry, could be lentils in a shepherd's pie, you know, with lots of cabbage and broccoli. It, we're not talking fancy meals that take a long time to prepare and you need loads and loads of ingredients. I think if you're feeding yourself like that, number one, you're not going to be a sugar addict mm. because the more you have, the more you want. And mm. um, who has got time to, well, I mean, if you have got time to uh, do all those substitutes, as in, oh, I'd, I'd rather make, I want to make flapjack, but I'm going to substitute this for that, for that, that, you know, to make it a really healthy flapjack. I'd say to you, just have less of the real thing occasionally. Mm. You know, you can't, you can't never ever have sugar. Mm. I mean, and you've got to learn to live um, in a relaxed way as well. And there will always be birthdays, Christmas, festivities, you know, going out. And do you really always want to be stressing about that, saying, oh, I can't eat this and I can't eat that? There's nothing more unrelaxing than being with somebody that says, oh, no, I don't eat this and I don't eat that. You know, I just think most of the time, eight, at least 80, 90% of the time, if you're 
when you shop, just buy loads of vegetables and whole grains and fruit and some meat if you eat meat and some fish and pulses and nuts and seeds. Chuck it all in your cupboards. It doesn't really matter how you cobble it together over the week. Could be a curry, it could be a salad, it could be a soup, it could be a casserole. It doesn't really matter because nutrients need to be your currency. It's not about calories. If you're eating nutritionally dense food, it's the best that you can do. And I do think sometimes we try and intellectualize it a little bit too much and then it becomes a bit of a chore. And, and it's this whole all or nothing. You mentioned clean eating then. Mm. Um, it's just, it's a modern phrase, isn't it? Mm. And there is definitely, there are a cohort of people, um, probably more the 30 to, yeah, late sort of twen late 20s to 30 generation. This is my experience of what I've seen. I might be wrong, but this is what I've seen, that um, they do have, they tend, people don't settle down so early now, do they? Mm. They tend to be living more independent lives. And actually, for them, it's a little bit of a project. They can do all that. And some of them have got very well-paid jobs and they can afford to really throw a lot of money at it. But I'm saying you don't need to. Mm. You actually don't need to. And it is this whole sort of uh, culture of, oh, it's a superfood and I've got to be having protein shakes and this, that and the other. I'm like, no, you don't. Not really. Just have a tin of chickpeas with some carrots and cabbage and, you know, <laughs> potato it's fine. Mm. It's no better. So, you know, you're, um, oh gosh, I'm just trying to think because I don't buy them. I don't, and I don't buy into it all. But, um, oh, I can't think of the top of my head all these different superfoods that are sold, you know, and I kind of think they're very expensive. Do you really need to be spending that sort of money? Of course you don't. Mm. So, no, as far as I'm concerned, it's nonsense. If you want to, fine. If it makes you feel better, fine, but you don't have to. And that's really not available to most people anyway. I was just thinking about, you know, what's going on currently in, in the news around um, the allocation of families who are unable to feed their children. There's a huge yeah. problem at the moment. And this whole thing around they were showing what was being given by the government in the food bags awful, versus actually what you can go down to Audi or mm. Tesco's or Absolutely. the grocers around the corner and buy. And the, 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 it's a startling difference between what 30 pounds a week will buy you if you buy stuff that is relatively cheap mm. and stuff that is nutritious versus if you buy products where you're paying for a label basically aren't you i was shocked when i saw those images coming up and you know i think for me that's that's something that i'm so grateful my parents taught me mm. is actually you don't need you know it's lovely to have all these products but you don't need them mm. we've, we've lived on a country that actually was self-sufficient for up until 30 years ago when we started to sell off most of our manufacturing. You know, we 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 ate through cycles. Yeah. 
to go back to something like that, which is actually the reality of what we might be facing with Brexit coming up. You know, we're going to have to start producing stuff again because we're not easily going to be able to get stuff here anymore, are we? No. Do you know what I found so sad about that, Daniel, is that um, the families that are um, being given these food parcels, actually, if you look at the sugars mm. um, in 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 those foods, they're so low in nutrients. And those children, because sugar will always keep you hungry, those children will continue to be hungry. Their brain chemistry and their stress levels will go up because of the sugar. Their ability to learn will be so much reduced to children that have a balanced diet, that eat regularly and have fresh food. And that is shocking because the very children that need it the most just aren't getting it. And I, I think who's advising on this? Why, why is this not being um, talked about at, at policy level? Mm. And then it, it, it takes for someone like Marcus Rashford to put his head above the parapet and actually mm. say, you know what, I lived like this. Yeah. And it, what, it, what it, you know, it was damaging for me, but also we managed to survive and kids deserve something more than this. You know, we live in a plentiful country where we've got more than we could ever want in this country. Well, there's um, enough food to feed the world, actually. Absolutely. Um, but that divide will keep getting more and more. And, I just think, you know, those children, if they have a, um, all those sugars in the diet, it is going to affect their behaviour and their concentration levels. And that's limiting their options as adults, mm. their education. It's, it's a much bigger picture than just trying to give them a pat lunch or something now. I'm thinking, oh, yes, tick the box. We've done that. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's such a vast problem it's a, it's it's a socioeconomic problem isn't it and it there's Absolutely. money there's money invested in processes so producing i mean there's the i've seen kids eating these like they come out of a packet and they're, they're called fruits like healthy snacks and they're fruit jellies and they're like raspberry tasting in a little roll and you stretch them out and they're they're kind of like a chewy sweet, but they're, they're infused with raspberry juice. But basically, they're just pure sugar. It's never seen a raspberry in its life. It's a bit like all... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I, we were talking. My kids and I were talking about this recently because I was always very, you know, they didn't have fizzy drinks. They didn't have cordial. We had like water's good if you want a bit of juice in it. Squeeze a lemon, and that that is actually how they drink now. Thank God. But they 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 were saying, you know, we went to school and they hated it because all their friends had crisps. And they had maybe a sausage roll and sweets and a biscuit and a juice box. And they had, you know, a little plate of salad and carrot sticks and homemade hummus and a cup of water. And they were like, we used to just throw our stuff in the bin and like, our friends would give us give us their food. And it's, it's hard, isn't it? You know, because you're trying to do the right thing for your child, but they want to be like everybody else. And then they need to be educated. Yeah. This is where, you know, in school, this is where it should start. Nutrition education. It should it should start there. Mm. Sadly, it doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to be going on. And there. the parents.
parents. We're like third generation now. You know, it's not the kids' fault, and sometimes not the parents either, because their parents didn't couldn't, didn't cook. And it is a social problem. If mum's out working two jobs, it's jolly hard to come home and then set to and cook a meal. You know, let's not put all the blame at their door. But if we if it wasn't so available and they didn't make it so cheap, yeah. Uh, I mean, the sugar tax is a nonsense. That's not going to deter people at all. No. What they need is practical help. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's cheaper to go to a supermarket and buy a homemade lasagna for oh. you know, $2.99 or whatever it is for the family and some frozen chips, which are going to be coated in sugar. Um, and then that's, that, that's the meal for everybody for the night for a few quid. It's, and it's about the effort as well that goes into having to make the food and then wash up for it and all the rest. And you know, I think if people aren't used to it, then they're not going to want to do it. No. But it comes back to, you know, for me, it's about I love myself enough to want to feed myself well because mm -hmm. I know that I'm going to feel better if I put the right stuff in. I just wanted to, to speak to you about... Um, in brief a little bit about gut health could you just explain a little bit about their brain gut connection what microbiome is how this all works together yeah absolutely well your gut is your second brain and it is the advisor to the brain and anything that's going on in your life emotionally externally internally your thoughts um stresses stuff going on from work will affect your gut and the reason for that is your gut is connected to the emotional center in your brain by something called the vagus nerve and there's a it's there's this community that's like the motor, the highway, if you like, between the brain, uh, the central nervous system and your gut, which is the only other organ in the body that has its own central nervous system. Mm. And those two are connected by this vagus nerve. Think of it, I always think of it as like a highway, a motorway. And traveling backwards and forwards continually are these chemical messengers. So if I could give you a really simple analogy, if you are getting anxious and nervous about the anticipation of maybe sitting an exam, the chances are that the motility in your gut have sped up and you might spend the morning on the loo mm. because you've got a nervous tummy. Now, that kind of information is being translated backwards and forwards. Now we live in a, um, if you think how much stress people live under now, because of all the things that we've been talking about today, so I won't go back through them again. That is continually, it's called chronic stress. And that affects the microbiome in your gut um, by changing the ecology. So the microbiome is, it's an environment of millions of different uh, yeasts and bacteria. And it's never constant, it changes all the time. So if I can just sort of split it into two to make it really simple, we've got good bacteria and bad bacteria. Obviously that's made up of different types of, millions of different types of microbes. 
but it's a good old mix. And we actually have four pounds of that in our gut, which is a huge amount when you think about it. Now, we need that there. We need the good guys because they help us digest food. They uh, produce uh, vitamins and minerals in our guts. They uh, keep our guts healthy. They protect us from um, pathogens, germs, bacteria that we don't want. Um, they help with the serotonin. They keep our guts shored up so that there's sort of about 80% of our immune cells are in our gut. So they, they actually do a really good job. They influence our essential fatty acids, um, all sorts of things, our serotonin levels. So we need that good bacteria. But the bad bacteria is really prolific and it can really, really multiply. And you would know that you had an, a, a dysbiotic, which means an imbalance in that gut bacteria, if you suffered from symptoms like bloating, a bloated gut, wind, even acid reflux, uh, indigestion, maybe headaches, fatigue, low energy, achy joints, all sorts of things, low mood. And so keeping that balance right is, it's a constant job. Now the sorts of things that disrupt that balance can be our emotions and our stress levels because when we're stressed we're producing a hormone called cortisol and cortisol changes the ecology in the gut so if we look at something say like IBS irritable bowel syndrome it's not just about the food that we're eating and our diet it's also about what's going on in our lives emotionally what kind of stress are we under right now because it's never just it's it's never just one one thing it's the combination of that and that kind all those messages are being communicated all the time between our central nervous system and also the nervous system in the enteric nervous system in our guts so that's called the gut brain axis so if you just think about this highway what is happening for you all day long you know, it's always, it's, it'll tell, so whatever's going on in your gut will be telling a story. So it's, it's about looking at somebody holistically. You never look at just the symptom that they, if they come with bloating, well, why are they bloated? What are they eating? But also what else is going on in their life right now? So you're looking at them functionally. And would you suggest that gives people that are listening quite a clear view about your approach of how you would work with someone is you would look at them holistically from all different angles and really start to understand or what you're experiencing is a symptom let's 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 look at what you're feeding yourself with your stresses that you're under how work is your relationships um things yeah. that may have happened in your past you know traumatic events things that you're worried about in the future and putting that all together and starting to work, as you say, holistically with somebody. Yes, that's exactly how I work, Daniel. If you like, um, it's about joining the dots. Yeah. So say you say, say a person had um, 
a lot of acid reflux. You see a lot of that. And they'll go to a GP and they'll say, I've got acid reflux. And that symptom will be treated with, you know, an acid blocker, lansosprol or miprazole. It's incredibly common. But that is, what is the point in suppressing the acid if you're not addressing all the other factors in a person's life, their diet, their lifestyle, what's going on emotionally. How can you help with all of those things? Because if you can deal with all of those things, then the ecology in the gut will change again because it is, it's always in transit. So it's, it gives you so much information. Their symptoms actually give you a lot of information if you ask why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar to the, the approach that I take within yoga therapy. Someone will come, you know, say, oh, I'm feeling anxious. I've also maybe, you know, got certain pains in my body around certain areas. And I would look at them from a kind of uh, a sort of wide angle perspective about what is going on. And interestingly, most of the work that I tend to do takes me back to working with the vagal nerve, (laughs) learning how to tend, befriend, calm, self-soothe and create an environment for themselves to feel comfortable And when they do that, then it feeds into them eating better. It feeds into them learning how to breathe more regularly. They learn how to deal with those stresses. And it kind of helps to shift and move them into a place where they feel more in control, but not having to be in control of what's happening. That's right. One of the ways to calm the vagal nerve, of course, is to do yoga breathing. Absolutely. Do you know what? We've actually got a lady coming on in a couple of weeks called Beth Spindler, and she's written a whole book all about toning the vagal nerve. <laughs> so oh, I'll have, yeah. have to read that. Yeah. Well, she's going to be on the podcast as well, oh, okay. so she'll be she'll be teaching us lots of tricks from a yoga therapy yeah. perspective of how yeah. to t- tone the vagal nerve. Um, so yeah, that would be very interesting. There's there's obviously. Um, the other area that you really specialize in is working with eating disorders or as Dawn likes to call it disordered eating. And it'd be really interesting to hear about your experiences of that. And also, you know, quite alarmingly, but unsurprisingly that actually disordered eating is becoming even more apparent in, in our current climate because so much control has been took away from people that they're, they're, say, using food as a way of controlling themselves. Yes. Well, it's such a massive subject, um, Daniel. And yes, certainly seeing a lot more of it. And there's lots of thing, reasons for that. Obviously, um, I think there's greater awareness now. I think eating disorders obviously have always been there. But there is much, thank goodness, there is uh, greater awareness now. But we've also got social media. So, uh, and it's, this is, you know, I see it just as much in young boys as well. Mm. But body awareness, body image uh, creates really bad feelings in some young people. But some, there's different reasons that people 
end up with an eating disorder and obviously they're not all the same but we would always look at when uh, they call them the three p's the predisposing the precipitating and the perpetuating factors it's like some people are just predisposed it's not saying they'll always get an eating disorder but there is a commonality and that would be somebody that's incredibly sensitive a very sensitive person uh, it can be genetic it can be familial there could have been um, a lot of um, negative what we call family food script in a family and that's been there from day one it might have been uh, depression in a family all of those things could already have been there even before the child is born and that will be the sort of the predisposing factors and then you look at the precipitating factors um, which could be bullying traumas and traumas don't always have to be big they could be little traumas you know that they they say don't they that um the body remembers everything it, it's what gets locked into the emotional uh hub of the body and then that just keeps getting triggered over and over again it can be throwaway comments but by maybe a teacher or a parent or a friend things like this it can be big traumas it could be abuse um, neglect uh, death in a family all of these things then trigger uncomfortable feelings and then by the time somebody starts either overeating uh, it could be binging purging or restricting then the brain chemistry gets completely disrupted and by that time chaotic eating has set in and that then perpetuates and that keeps an eating disorder going but one of the most powerful things and in an eating disorder or somebody with an eating disorder is that they have what we call an eating disorder voice. And that is one of the most difficult things um, to overcome. And it's a huge part of the work that I do is doing therapy to help a person separate the eating disorder voice, which basically drives them, tells them to do everything. It also gives them really, really bad thoughts about themselves. Um, and I'll give you an example. A really common one is if you eat that, you will get fat and ugly and nobody will love you. That's classic. Um, and they think it's their mind saying this, but it's not. It's the eating disorder voice. So the job is to separate the two. And it can be a long process. Uh, the sooner you nip it in the bud, the sooner you have, if, if there's any parents listening and they have any, any concerns over a child that they think is starting to show um, odd behavior with their eating. Um, and it could be over chewing food, pushing it around the plate, hiding it in a napkin or a tissue, uh, going off to the loo as soon as they've eaten. Anything like that, they may be withdrawing, going into their room more often, uh, very low mood, disengaging with people. If you've got any concerns like that, I would say don't, don't wait 
it's always best to ask the question to an eating disorder professional, because if you nip it in the bud, you stand a much better chance of getting rid of that eating disorder. Um, and it's about teaching pe people who have eating disorders to find better ways of coping with uncomfortable feelings. That's really, really good advice, Diana. I think um, it's a massive topic and I think it's one, uh, it would be worth us revisiting in another podcast perhaps to talk more about eating disorders, um, where they come from and, and, how we can, and how we can help. That was a brilliant and really insightful insight into what goes on. And I know, you know, I've seen many people myself over the years struggling, you know, with, with eating disorders and it, it kind of dominates your life, doesn't it? It just takes over and that becomes, becomes everything. Everything has to fit around this kind of ideal that you think you're trying to achieve where if you get to this size, this weight, this measurement, your life will suddenly be perfect. And it's, you know, it's a, in Buddhism, we would call it a, a delusionary mind, you know, it's a mind that's full of delusion. And I try to come from the place of when you fall in love with yourself, you know, your true self, uh, these delusions begin to break apart and fall away. And it's finding a method for you because we're all different that work. So thank you so much for sharing that insight. That was um I really do want to, I wish we had more time today, but we don't. Daniel, I could see you wanted to just jump in there. I was just going to offer my thanks to Diana for pointing out that eating disorders are rife amongst men as well as women. And traditionally, it's been directed towards the, the, the females of the species, but actually males really do suffer with eating oh, disorders. Yeah. And particularly, it seems to be problems around body dysmorphia and this need to attain a certain body shape, which is big up top, but a slim waist and then big thighs. And actually this kind of gym body that is unattainable for a lot of bodies because actually their body will never go like that. And the, the continuous streaming of advertising and social media of the images of both men and women and these unattainable bodies that people, most people were never able to get to is the thing that's really driving much of this, this, you know, this fear within people. And I was actually going to say on, on the flip side, I follow quite a lot of people who are really body positive on social media as well. And there's some amazing people out there. I would suggest looking at Lizzo. I don't know if you've come across her. She's an amazing American singer. She loves her body and she's not afraid of her body in any way, shape or form. And it's actually so empowering to see a bigger woman enjoying her body and not being afraid of who she is. Mm -hmm. And Dawn, I know it's something you, you know, you really kind of spearhead, don't you? And you're trying to lead in the way that you present your social media is about being comfortable with what we've got rather than having to attain something more. I think we define, too many people define themselves by, by a number, the number on the scales, mm -hmm. and, and by the, 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 uh, the number in their clothes, you know, the, the clothes size. And, and it's, such, it's sad because 
what they're ignoring or they're missing is all their wonderful qualities. Mm. And it's much better to define, I wouldn't like somebody anymore if they were a size 10 or a six, size 16 or mm. that wouldn't, that wouldn't, isn't important to me. Yes, as a professionally, it's really important that people eat for that for wellness and they eat nutritionally for, for optimum health. That is important to me. I wouldn't that doesn't define them any more or less for me. Any more than a number or, you know, and it's a shame that we can't, that more of us can't adopt that mm. perspective. I think, it, I think it's a really hard thing. I know I'm very open about my past struggles and I, I have had, I don't know, thank God, a lot of work later, I had terrible struggles with body image and had, you know, severe anorexia. My, my number was six and a half stone. But when you achieve that, that's not small enough. So then it's six stone. And I think my final number was I'm, I'm going to be five and a half stone. And, and I kind of got to under six stone and then was hospitalized. And obviously, because I was killing myself. And then from then on, you know, had struggles right up till I was 30 with, you know, binging, bulimia, fluctuating through and back into starvation mode. And, it took me a long time to get out of that place. And, you know, it's left me with, you know, real issues around, well, issues is the wrong word, challenges around maintaining any weight because my body chemistry was so messed up. But that um, practice of learning to like myself and fall in love with myself for who I am and, and exactly what you say, what, what I bring and the life I have moment to moment is not impacted by the fact that my genes are a size 16 my top of the size, whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't care. It doesn't, you know, that doesn't define who I am. I look after myself well and I deserve the very best and I'm no more valuable or less valuable depending on the size. Trying to put that message across feels sometimes like falling on deaf ears because especially young people or maybe, maybe I'm incorrect. It feels like especially young people. They feel their world is not going to be okay unless they are a perfect size, perfectly groomed, even if there's a part of them that knows that doesn't make any sense, it's still what they seem to strive for. So certainly, I know Daniel and I, in our practices, we try our very best to make it inclusive, you know, whatever size you are, whatever age you are, whatever your capacity is physically, you know, you are a unique, special, perfect human being and, you know, work with what you've got and, and love it. So, you know- You can't yeah. all be the same size. Oh, it'd be, wouldn't it be dull? <laughs> It's just it's a nonsense. Yeah, and you, you know, you have to look at your genetic makeup as well. Um, you know, if you're going to be five foot four and you're, you, you want to be six foot, you're not going to be, are you? You can't change that. No. But the it's most important good. thing is, are you healthy? Mm. Is it, That's it the most important. Thing. Isn't it lovely to start to see that narrative is changing? You know, I, I was, I was, um, I follow Vogue, and they're really, you know, they're really trying to push a new, a new type of image of of people. You know, they're bringing in normal people, and although Vogue's been this place of escapism for so long, 
currently that isn't relevant <laughs> because right. we need to see what realism is. We need to see, you know, who the people are that read these magazines and get inspired by it. And actually that for them is such a massive change, you know, but also a real breath of fresh air as well because it makes it attainable to everybody. Whoever I am, whatever colour, whatever shape, whatever background, I can relate to that in some way. <laughs> I have an exercise I do with uh, my clients. It's just called All or Nothing. It's very simple. And we look at all, when you're kind of in that all mode, let's call it like you talked about, Dawn, that clean eating. Mm -hmm. Everything they do, 100% is all, 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 all. Then look under the line and what are the consequences of that? Mm. Very unsociable, it's mm. all consuming, you beat yourself up if you don't do it. But then look at the other and you have that, oh God, I've blown it moment. Mm. You flip the other way. And then you just think, right, I've done it now, I've blown it, I'm going to eat this and I'm going to eat that. And I'm going to start drinking alcohol again. Da, 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 da. But there'll be consequences for that. So they don't work, do they? No. So that's why you need to keep to this, just be realistic. Eat that 80-20 rule is just about, uh, have, have some compromise. Mm. Don't beat yourself up. And if it's somebody's birthday, have a piece of cake and enjoy it. <laughs> Doesn't mean to say you're gonna do it every day, does it? Just that rings in my ears, Diana. You are in my head because whenever, because whenever we go out for dinner, not that we have done that for about a year, but when or we have an occasion, and you know, my husband's very much—he's the other way. He's um twenty eighty, so he's twenty percent good, eighty percent bad. And they'll <laughs> say, "Just have a piece of cake and enjoy it." And I'll be like, and I'll hear your voice saying, "Just enjoy it. It's doing you harm if you eat it and you're hating yourself." And so I'll think, okay, I'll do that. I'll have what I want, and I'll and I'll I'll be treating myself and I'll be kind to myself. But then I don't, and what shifted for me, and this, this did happen a few years ago, was I now don't then go and eat the whole thing. I'll just have that one piece and I'll step away and I'll be and like, enough. That is the point, is that that comes from a place of strength. It mm. comes from a place of, if you, if you have the diet, the narrative, I can't have one piece because then I'll have to eat the, the whole cake. That comes from a place of weakness come from a place of strength which is yes I can have one piece and that's okay I can celebrate somebody's birthday I don't need the whole cake mm, okay. so it's it's just that coming from either a place of weakness or a place of strength beautiful thank you it's, Diana thank you so much for your time we're so great so 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 grateful and um our, our our listeners won't know this but we we already recorded this one and we managed to lose it and we've done it again <laughs> i kind of feel like this conversation has been even richer because it's even more on point with what people are going through right now and i think it's going to be of such benefit to so many people so thank right, you so. for your wisdom and for your time and i'm gonna pass over to daniel to wind things up okay thank you dawn Thank you, Diana, for your time today. And I just echo what Dawn said. It's just been really refreshing to be reminded of things that, you know, have slipped maybe in my nutritional <laughs> management. Um, but also as well, just for me, there's this real thing around, you know, celebrating food because you've said exactly what it does. It gives us the fuel to be able to live the lives that we feel we deserve to live. So, you know, let's let's celebrate it rather than finding ways to 
to, to berate or, or cause harm within ourselves or around ourselves, around the food that we eat. So thank you, Diana. That's a pleasure. So in the next couple of weeks, we've got some really exciting guests. Um, I've talked about one already, um, a lovely lady called Beth Spindler, who is a yoga therapist um, based in America, who's written this book called Yoga Therapy for Fear, all around toning the vagal nerve. So she's coming on in a few weeks to chat with us. We've also got a, a really amazing um, yoga teacher and yoga therapist called Joyty Joan Manuel, and she runs a yoga school, an educational um, branch of that yoga school called the Special Yoga School. And they work specifically with parents, um, teachers, or education givers, or, or healthcare workers who wish to use yoga to support children that have mental or disabilities in some way so they really specialize in in working with children with autism children with down syndrome um, children with quite significant mental health problems as well so um, it's going to be a real pleasure to, to to speak to her and to hear a little bit more around what she sees the future could be in terms of how kids in schools can be supported by using yoga as part of their learning and education. So um, we're really excited to be chatting to her. Um, so until next time, thank you so much for listening. Please do review if you use the Apple um, podcast to listen to your podcasts. Alternatively, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or on Podbean, and please do let us know any subjects or teachers or professionals that you would like us to have a chat with. So until next time, thank you ever so much for your time and goodbye. Bye now. Bye.